Good evening. I'm not Glenn Kaufman. I have just a little bit more hair than he does. Not much. <clears throat> First of all, we will need to thank the Lord for all the blessings that he blesses on us each day, for the material blessings, the money, and the friendships that we have formed doing this work. Tonight, we have special guests with us. We have several of the homeowners that we have worked for in the congregation with us tonight. If you would, would y'all please stand? So, thank you. <clears throat> if you can get to know these people tonight, and you you really be uh, impressed with these people. They've worked hard, and they've been through a lot. <clears throat> thank you to the congregation for the encouragement, for the financial support that we've had from you. Thank the elders most of all because they have encouraged us to do this work for the last five years between Katrina and uh, the uh, Nashville flood. <clears throat> they stood behind us. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and it will be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. We were seeking a way to raise funds to do this work. The church contacted the House to House, Heart to Heart national uh, publication, and they allowed us to use their emails to contact people over the country. We asked and the money came in. We knocked and the people allowed us to come into their homes and work. Through our special contribution here at Mount Juliet, you gave $38,500. There were contributions from 48 congregations, 52 individuals, and 25 states. To date, we have spent $94,682. We raised $107,843. The uh, the contributions came from as far as Washington State to California, Pennsylvania to Georgia. It was scattered pretty well across the country. <clears throat> we had help from Georgia, South Carolina, Mississippi, Texas, Indiana, and Virginia. As a result of trying to keep these uh, different crews busy, we kind of overloaded our plate. We took on more than we needed to at one time. And we have been kind of slow finishing them, but we're close. And we thank the homeowners for being patient with us. It has kind of overwhelmed us to be able to finish up everything we started in those first few weeks. We started so many of them. We have worked on approximately 20 homes. We've helped them uh, rebuild their homes and helped some financially. No means is the work done. We're close to finishing these houses, but Middle Tennessee still has a lot to be done. It will probably take years for it all to ever be done. The work in Mississippi we have done for approximately five years, and it may not be done in the next five years. I don't think Nashville will be back anytime soon. It's going to take a long process to do it. People ask us, why are we doing this work? 
we are commanded by those in need to help those in need. When we first went to Pennington Bend, there was people working in their houses trying to uh, sort through their possessions. They piled them in the garage, they had them in pods. What was not salvageable was on the street, on the sidewalk, there was refrigerators, washers, dryers, drywall, insulation, it was just piled up. It was a mess when we first went out there. They have pretty well got everything cleaned up now, it looks good. <clears throat> Again, congregation, thank you. Homeowners, thank you for letting us come in. Clint. Well, I'm an old man, and I'm proud of it. I'll explain that in a little while, okay? Uh, I'll also tell you that I'm not a public speaker, but then I don't really need to tell you that because you're going to find that out real soon. Okay, I told David a while ago when he asked me for about the 10th time if I was ready and it started making me nervous because I thought maybe I should have done more than I did. But I said, you know, I'd have really felt more comfortable if I'd have brought a power drill up here in my hand. That's something I can relate to, okay? I do feel much more comfortable with dust on me, grime, and drywall mud. And I'll tell you that for sure, okay? You know, before I get started, I'd like to say a special hello. Uh, my sister in Lano, Texas, for the first time, is watching the internet. Hi, sis. <laughs> what have you done since May the 2nd and 3rd? We Are the Sermon has been an almost six-month process for several in our congregation doing flood work. It's, as Bobby said, it's a continuation uh, of the work that a lot of us did in, in Mississippi. We actually had a trip scheduled to go to Mississippi the week after the flood. Canceled that and decided we'd do a little bit uh, closer work at home. We're going to start a slideshow, and I'll tell you I've had a lot of problems with this slideshow. I spent about three hours today organizing it so that it would be in the order that I wanted, when I copied it over to a desk, it apparently went based on the date the picture was taken. I don't know. And then we couldn't get it to, to go as an automatic slideshow, so the guys are going to run it through manually. I need to tell you a few things about this slideshow. Almost all of these pictures were taken by Mark Ranks. Mark has been our, our photographer of our team, and he showed up on a lot of Fridays to take pictures. If you weren't working on Friday, your picture's not going to be in there, with a couple of exceptions. Okay, um, so sorry about that for all of you that work, didn't work on a Friday. We appreciate your work, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. The two exceptions are my grandkids, and, and Nana had the camera, so I got the guy, managed to get those moved in. A lot of the same guys you're going to see are over and over, but those were the same guys that worked a lot of days, a lot of days, and we're going to talk a little bit more about those. We're really showing the pictures to show you the work that was done. And I happened to see the one there of me. You know, this was a hot summer, and you're going to see a lot of sweat on shirts as we go through these pictures, okay? Um, as we go through 
as we go through the photos, you're going to see some shots of some, some mold growing on a wall. And we were just recently able to get these shots. Uh, you sort of wonder, what would happen to a, to a house if we didn't rebuild it? If you just left it alone and you, you just stayed in there, what would happen? This happens to be a condo that was abandoned the day after the flood or the day out of the flood or thereabouts, hasn't been touched. So as you see shots of black stuff going up a wall, that's what would happen if we didn't rebuild houses. Lastly, well, actually not lastly, next, you're gonna see a young man whom I'm very proud of installing an electrical outlet. Now for all of you, before you jump to conclusions, I can assure you all of the power was off to that house. We tested each circuit with an electrical circuit and Papa checked it with his hands. That guy put every outlet in this house, every single outlet. Uh, I went back and, and checked to make sure that the screws were tight and the wires were correct. Um, we, we finished installing them, tested them with an electric circuit and every one of them worked. Every, Janet Greco, that was your house, okay? The last picture, and somewhere through here, you're gonna see me standing, running a saw, and that one's in there just strictly to, out, to aggravate Albert England. It's fi finally known as the Kaufman saw, and there's a long story to it, and you're not gonna hear it, but it's only in there for Albert's aggravation, okay? For a couple of weeks after the flood, literally thousands of volunteers showed up in the Nashville area to clean out houses. And by what I mean by clean out houses, they literally hauled basically everything that was inside and out of the house out on the street. Um, carpets were cut up and rolled up and hauled out. Uh, wet drywall was sort of popped off the walls where it broke. Wet insulation was cut and hauled out. Um, in a period of a, just a few hours, the homeowner's stuff was basically out on the street. And I know this had to be a, an extremely trying time for them. Uh, unless you've been through it, and I haven't, I don't think you could possibly imagine uh, how it really feels to have that happen. I think in a lot of cases, because it happened so fast, they actually even lost control of what went out on the street and things went out on the street perhaps that didn't need to go. But after the couple of three weeks, the thousands of volunteers left. The flood was soon forgotten by the media and most of Nashville, but we didn't. Bobby already talked about uh, the financial side and my job is to really talk a little bit about the work that we did and how we converted what we think about $100,000 up to this point into several hundred thousand dollars of work, okay? And that was strictly through the efforts of our volunteers. The hours given by our volunteers are just unmeasurable almost. Um, I figure uh, it took us anywhere from a few hundred hours to a, few, to a thousand or more hours per house. And Bobby's already talked a little bit about the number of houses that, that we worked on. 
First thing I'd like to do, in addition to uh, talking about what happened, is recognize the people that worked on a house or in some way worked with flood relief. If you had any involvement in working with flood relief, even for a few hours, I'd like for you to stand up. I know there's a bunch of you out there, a bunch of teens somewhere. There's Megan, bunch of teens, okay? You guys can all sit back down. I, and you know, these groups um, are somewhat divided up, but even the folks that went out and did just a, a few things really made an impression. Uh, teen groups that showed up, we used part of those teens to, uh, to insulate houses, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute, but we used part of the teens to insulate houses. Part of the, part of the young folks, and Doug and Sharon Perry took a group of junior high, I believe, out and picked up nails off the streets. And when we first started going to Pennington Bend, you couldn't go that far without finding a nail in the street. And uh, we had a lot of favorable comments. We had lawn mowing crews and weed eater crews, and boy, at times it just looked like a buzzsaw of activity out in the Pennington Bend area with, with people working. And that's all really appreciated. I'm gonna have two more groups stand up. First group I'd like, and those of us that are in these groups, we know who we are. First group I'd like to have stand up is the, the young man group. If you were part of a group led by Brandon Whitlock and, and uh, Jason Tucker, usually working on Thursday evenings, I'd like you to stand up at this time. Come on guys, where are you? All right. Okay, you can sit back down. Talk, talk a little bit about these. You know, these guys would tackle just about anything, and, and Brandon, a few days ago, summed it up just perfectly. Uh, we asked him to go install cabinets in a house, uh, kitchen and, and bathroom cabinets, and he said, we've never done that before, but we can. Uh, you know, with an attitude like that, Give them about 30 more years, about 50 more pounds, less hair or gray hair, and guys, you're going to be invited to join the next group of folks. I'm going to have a stand. All right? The next group, the old man group. You know who you are. Own up to it. Stand up. Okay? All right. This particular group, and I hate to say it, and I, and I admit it up front, I'm part of it. Uh, the youngest one of that group is 65 years old, okay? Uh, this group of guys, not a single one of us, worked in the construction business as we, as we came up through other lives, okay? We uh, picked it up some way or the other, and uh, uh, about all I can really say about these guys is with them behind me or beside me, I would go anywhere. Uh, I mean, they would tackle it and they would get the job done. 35 years of corporate life, being on various teams all the way through, not one single time did I have a team that was more dedicated to, to a goal and did whatever it took to make that goal happen. These guys are just fantastic.
A couple of weeks ago, you, you know, have you ever noticed how sometimes a preacher walks on your toes? Well, a couple of weeks ago, in, in a prayer that David said, a beautiful prayer, he said, God, wear us out in your service. There's time to rest when we get to heaven. Well, that last group of folks is pretty close to worn out. <laughs> okay. Bobby's already mentioned the volunteers that we had from the other areas uh, and mentioned that they somewhat got us in trouble. And what we found, but in trouble, I mean it almost in a good way, but what we found out was a, a group would uh, be coming in and we'd get together, uh, our team, and, and uh, we'd say, okay, how are we going to put them to work? Well, there's only so many lines you can mow and so many other things. And, and uh, we found out with... Uh, some special tools that we had created over the years working in Mississippi that we could take a group of, of young people and insulate a house. Janet Greco, your house was insulated with 16 age girls and myself, okay? Um, so each time a group would come in, we'd go out and grab another house to insulate and another house to insulate and another house to insulate. And pretty soon we recognized that the insulation was getting way ahead of the other jobs and uh, we just didn't have enough crew to, to catch up. So uh, somewhere along the way, we basically called off the idea of having volunteers come in. And, and I need to mention, and something that, that neither Bobby nor I have up to this point, the second week after the flood, we, we formed a, a team here uh, to look at what we needed to do as a congregation. And that team is actually still in place. Uh, we meet almost almost weekly, uh, discussing various things from uh, you know work assignments to uh, who we can twist their arm and get up to make these kind of presentations. Uh, talking about the rebuild process a little bit, um, and I'm gonna go through that real quickly. My wife says I can take a 10 minute talk and turn it into a 20 minute real quick, so I'm not gonna do that. The rebuild process includes, and I may skip a few parts here, but it includes cutting the drywall straight across. Remember I said as they went in the first week, they just basically broke wherever it broke in a very jagged line, that's where it was. And so we went in and cut it a straight line across, cut the wet insulation at a wet, at a straight line and uh, started from there. So cutting drywall, cutting off the insulation. If we needed to, and we did early on, we ran dehumidifiers uh, to dry out the, the, the house. Then we'd re-insulate and drywall. And we'd finish drywall. And I, I, I've got to have a footnote on this one. In David's sermon this morning, he said, we need to love what God loves and we need to hate what God hates. I told him after the first, uh, the first service, I said, David, I sure hate, hope God hates drywall finishing because I'm in trouble if he doesn't. Okay. Uh, but after we'd finished the drywall, we prime and paint, we install electrical switches and outlets, we install flooring, install doors and door frames, cabinets and sinks, connect plumbing, hope God doesn't like plumbing, uh, trim out and install basements, uh, basements, baseboards, and we caulk. And then we go to the next house and we start the process all over again. 
Like I say, that process can take anywhere from a few hundred hours to perhaps even a thousand or more. Homeowners, we hope that at first our efforts gave you hope. We also hope that it gave you much needed help in getting back in your places. Most of all, we hope and pray that all of the efforts done by all of us, monetary, physical work and all, uh, has been pleasing to God and that the, the credit for those efforts will be given to God and not to an individual or to us as a group. Thanks. Bye, sis. Good evening. What a tremendous presentations those two men did. If you would, open your Bibles to Galatians, the sixth chapter. I'd like for us to look at two passages as we close out uh, this time together. To the families that are guests this evening, we, we welcome you. And I know many of us cannot imagine what you've been through the last six months to see so many of your possessions damaged, to see your house and the condition that it was in. And you know, the scriptures tells us to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And our hope is that, that we have conducted ourselves in that way, that in your time of, of hurt and pain, that, that we were able to, to feel some kind of ache and, and sympathy along with you. And hopefully now is, is a greater time, is a time of rejoicing where where maybe at least some aspects of your life are coming back together again. And I'm sure you're still worn out. And I'm sure there are many areas that are still very difficult. Uh, but we definitely, we, we want to be uh, compassionate people. And that's the call that, that God has always had for us, is, is to always be aware of others. And when, when we think about the way Paul would close out the book of Galatians, it's just a letter he was writing to the people of Galatia. And toward the end, he gives two verses that both talk about doing good. You know how when somebody comes up to you and says, hey, how you doing? And maybe you say, doing good. I want you to file that away in your memory. And over the next few days, before you say doing good, allow that to be a little trigger to ask yourself, am I really doing good the way it's used here. Let's look at this, verse 9 and 10, Galatians 6. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, and especially to those of the household of faith. First verse, he tells us, don't grow weary. Doing good is really exciting most of the time at first. But then, as these men have demonstrated, it takes a special kind of person to endure in doing good. Did you notice how Glenn said when all of the volunteers had gone back home and the media, they've taken their cameras off of it, there was still the majority of the work to do 
But you see, our human nature is we don't do good long term. Our human nature is we grow weary. I'm thankful that we've had men tonight to remind us of examples of individuals that did not grow weary. But then notice that second thing. Do good to who? You know, I've found that it is so easy for me to do good to some of my closest friends. I've found that it's pretty easy for me to do good to my family. And as I have grown in my faith, it has even become easier to do good to those who are my brothers and sisters in Christ. But isn't it interesting that those were not the examples that he said. He said, do good to all men, to strangers, to those people around the bend that we didn't know six months ago, to people that may be just down your street, to the person that works just down the floor, down the hall, down the way from where you work. Do good unto all, and especially to those of the household of faith. Of course we'd want to take care of our own family, but do good to all. I want to close this with a couple of examples where, you know, we, most of the time, spend our time looking in the Scripture and saying, this is what God requires of us. That's what we as Christians are supposed to do, is keep our eyes, our heart, our mind in the Scriptures. But you know, sometimes it's good to have evenings like this where we say, let's evaluate. Let's consider what's been done. Let's consider what's been done this afternoon, and we are the sermon day, and we're going to close out this service by having a short video where, where you will see amazing hours and hours of work done by hundreds of individuals. But I want to share with you just a couple of things that have just either come across my desk or through a phone call in the last few weeks. I received this letter just a few weeks ago. And this letter reads, and I would like for you to read this letter along with me. Mount Juliet Church of Christ, just a note to let you know what a great work you are doing. This week... I was having a terrible down day. I had been out of town with serious illness in my family. One of my close, like family friends, had died. I received a call that another friend had died, and yet another day, another friend had died. And I'm thinking, how can I get everything done that I need to do and be all the places that I need to be. I picked up my mail to have a card from a Bible student that I had in class many years ago. I think of all these kids so often, very often, and I wonder, did I get anything across to them? The following was the message in the card. Dear, and it had her name, I just wanted to let you know that I think of you often. Thank you for all you taught me when I was a teenager. I do remember a lot of what I learned during the time that you taught the teenage girls class. If I turn out anything like you, I'll be truly blessed with much love, and they sign their name. Then there was a green card. 
It was one of our cards from a few months ago. What a pick-me-up. I can't express my appreciation. Thanks, and God bless the work you are doing. This girl is a member of your congregation. What does a small act of kindness mean? It always means something. It's hard to place a measurement or a value upon it, but it always means something. And one of the most important things that it means is it means that someone is acting like God. God is the one who teaches us to do good and, and don't grow weary in it and do good to all. And then my phone rang this week. And a woman introduced herself on the phone and she said, I've asked this gentleman if I had permission to share with you his story. And so I, I want to tell you his story. It's really remarkable. And I don't think you guys know about his story. She said, do you remember a while back whenever your congregation went throughout your whole community and in, invited people to study the Word of God and invited them to, to church? And I said, sure, I remember it. It was the One campaign back in 2009. She said, there was a man that, that he received the material from you at the door and he didn't say anything more to you. He just closed the door. But what he did was he took especially that pamphlet, and this was one of the pamphlets that was handed out, and the other was, was a, a pretty in-depth little study of how to become a Christian and a part of the Lord's church. She said he sat down and he began studying and he looked up every passage that was in that pamphlet. He said he had, he had a brother-in-law that had been inviting him to worship for years. And he had never expressed any interest in going with his brother-in-law. Once he had studied all the way through that pamphlet, he called his brother-in-law and he said, you know those Bible studies you've invited me to? Yes. I'd like to go to one now. He says, oh really? He says, that's great. And he says, not only that, I've learned the Bible. I want to be baptized now also. And he's been a faithful part of one of our sister congregations just down the road for quite some time now and is still very, very active. Today's been a day where we've placed a lot of emphasis on doing good. And what's interesting about doing good is that's not our place to track it. It's not our place to see where it all leads. But every now and then, a few months later, a few years later, we find out that those little acts of doing good, they sometimes really do draw people closer to God. There's a lot of reasons to do good. But there's nothing greater than having the hope and the prayer and the motive that our doing good draws us closer to God and it would have that same effect on others that we serve. Tonight, we realize our relationship with God is not about working our way into some kind of merit system. It's not, can I do more good than bad and, and balance out some kind of scale? It's that we want to do good because that's what children of God do. Tonight, if there's something in your life that's, that's separating you from God, you know, one of the good things that you ought to do tonight 
to make your life right with God. You couldn't do anything better for yourself and for your influence upon other people. If you're a believer willing to repent of sins, are you ready to be baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins? Maybe you've been baptized into Christ in the past and, and something, your sin, has separated you from God. And you want to come back home to Him to live a life that's like Him, a life that reflects His righteousness and His goodness. There's not anybody here perfect, but we can all leave here tonight forgiven. And that's good. That's very good. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.